I don't know what to conclude about the Challenger crash. It's gibberish to me, neatly printed indecipherable lines of numbers and figures on graph paper. But what if we look at that problem through someone else's eyes, from inside someone else's head? You will, for example, come across a story where I try to understand the difference between choking and panicking. It was a piece inspired by John F. Kennedy Jr.'s fatal plane crash in July of 1999. He was a novice pilot in bad weather, lost the horizon, as pilots like to say, and went into a spiral dive. So I had a pilot take me up in the same kind of plane that Kennedy flew, in the same kind of weather, and I had him take us into a spiral dive. It wasn't a gimmick. It was a necessity. I wanted to understand what crashing a plane that way felt like, because if you want to make sense of that crash, it's simply not enough to just know what Kennedy did. The picture problem is how to make sense of satellite images, like the pictures the Bush administration thought it had of Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destruction. I got started on that topic because I spent an afternoon with a radiologist looking at mammograms, and halfway through, completely unprompted, he mentioned that he imagined that the problems people like him had in reading breast x-rays were a lot like the problems people in the CIA had in reading satellite photos. I wanted to know what went on inside his head, and he wanted to know what went on inside the heads of CIA officers. I remember at that moment feeling absolutely giddy. Then there's the article after which this book is named. It's a profile of Caesar Milan, the so-called dog whisperer. Milan can calm the angriest and most troubled of animals with the touch of his hand. What goes on inside of Milan's head as he does that? That was what inspired me to write the piece. But after I got halfway through my reporting, I realized there was an even better question. When Milan performs his magic, what goes on inside of the dog's head? That's what we really want to know, what the dog saw. The question I get asked most often is, where do you get your ideas? I never do a good job of answering that. I usually say something vague about how people tell me things, or my editor Henry gives me a book that gets me thinking, or that I just plain don't remember. When I was putting together this collection, I thought I'd try and figure out that once and for all. There is, for example, a long and somewhat eccentric piece on why it is that no one has ever come up with a catch-up to rival Heinz. How do we feel when we eat ketchup? That idea came from my friend Dave, who is in the grocery business. We have lunch every now and again, and he's the kind of person who thinks about things like that. Dave also has some fascinating theories about melons, but that's an idea I'm saving for later. There's another story called True Colors, about the women who pioneered the hair color market. I got started on that because I somehow got it in my head that it would be fun to write about shampoo. I think I was desperate for a story. Many interviews later, an exasperated Madison Avenue type said to me, why on earth are you writing about shampoo? Hair color is much more interesting. And so it is. The trick to finding ideas is to convince yourself that everyone and everything has a story to tell. I say trick, but what I really mean is challenge, because it's a very hard thing to do. Our instinct as humans, after all, is to assume that most things are not interesting. We flip through the channels on the television and reject ten before we settle on one. We go to a bookstore and look at twenty novels before we pick the one we want. We filter and rank and judge. We have to. There's just so much out there. 
But if you want to be a writer, you have to fight that instinct every day. Shampoo doesn't seem interesting? Well, damn it, it must be. And if it isn't, I have to believe that it will ultimately lead me somewhere that is. I'll let you judge whether I'm right in that instance. The other trick to finding ideas is figuring out the difference between power and knowledge. Of all the people who you'll meet in this volume, very few of them are powerful or even famous. When I said that I'm interested in minor geniuses, that's what I meant. You don't start at the top if you want to find a story. You start in the middle, because it's the people in the middle who do the actual work in the world. My friend Dave, who taught me about ketchup, is a middle guy. He's worked on ketchup. That's how he knows about it. People at the top are self-conscious about what they say, and rightfully so, because they have position and privilege to protect, and self-consciousness is the enemy of interestingness. In The Pitchman, you'll meet Arnold Morris.